They were the heroes from the future. Teenagers protecting the universe from those that would sow the seeds of chaos. Each had unique powers and abilities. And though they often had their differences, they came together to save the day as the Legion of Superheroes. Now you can be a part of their adventures and learn the history of the future in the Legion Clubhouse. This week on the Legion Clubhouse, we're all going to the circus for murder. Legion of Superheroes number 260, Come to the Circus and Die. Published February 1980. Written by Jerry Conway with art by Joe Stanton. Synopsis, Murder at the Circus. Issue 260 and 261 this week on the Legion Clubhouse, where we come to the circus and we die. (laughs) And once again, it feels like a long issue that got split in half. Um... Well, I mean, that's kind of how serialized storytelling goes, right? You have a long story and then you break it into smaller chunks that you can then package for 40 cents on the cover and sell them uh, month after month. I think that's a pretty smart move. I mean, that's how they do it today. Uh, So seeing that here is not a surprise. Um, So, yeah, that's that's how stories work in comics these days. I'm going to start saying things that you absolutely believe so that you take the time to play devil's advocate and debunk me. Oh, really? Like what? I really like a burrito off a truck. Oh, man, I love taco truck burritos. Oh, man. Except the bad thing is, and this is, I don't know if it's uh, current um, health situation related. My local taco truck um, is having some emergency staffing issues, and I think a couple of of the family members have caught the caught the COVID, but, uh, yeah, they're, they're taco, taco truck burritos are delicious. And actually most food off taco trucks is good. It's too bad that there are no taco trucks in the future. There is however, a circus in the future. Yeah. A traditional 19th century circus with ringmasters and sideshows and fat ladies and just really, really out of place elements for a 30th century story. Is it though? I think it is. I mean, this kind of circus was dated in 1980 when this comic came out. And I, I don't know, know man, because after that, I feel when, like when you go through, dated. when you go through some of the acts, if you go to a, um, you know, what, what are the, the Zumba people that uh, do all the stuff there in, in the, in the Las Vegas, they have, you know, some similar sticks. They have people flying around on trapezes, uh, up until, um, the, the tiger people uh, died with their magic show. They had animal acts very much like our Jovian uh, Octo Squid that we see here on the cover. Uh, the the history of the circus is really, you know, quite interesting, at least from the uh, amusement side, the midway side where we traditionally think of like the circus wheels and, you know, eating all the funnel cakes that you can. That actually goes back to the. Um, world's Columbian exposition of 1893. That's the first time that we see a midway kind of get formed with attractions that are separate from the rest of a state fair or carnival or something like that. And it's also uh, the first time that we get to see the Ferris wheel appear is in uh, 1893 or in that, um, um, in that world's fair that, that went on uh, for that. So the, 
you know, for it to even last a hundred years, as you're saying at the time of this issue that it feels dated, I'm not sure because Ringling Brothers and Barnum Bailey and a lot of those others still do traveling circus uh, shows here regionally. We haven't gone in a couple of years because the boys are a little bit too old, but um, one of the Shriners uh, here in town would always give us tickets to go to Salina and see the circus there. And yes, the acts might have changed, but this idea of people going in and seeing a three ring circus and clowns and acrobats and that kind of stuff, I think is still around. And I think even a, a, a thousand years from now, I think that there might still be a venue for people to say, see these kinds of, of exhibitions. So I don't know if, if a circus is, is truly outdated. I believe it is, especially this circus. This does not feel like a future Legion story. This feels like, you know, a teen Titan story from 1967 to me. And that's not necessarily a bad thing because, you know, it's, got personality, but I don't know. I just feel like the whole idea of this traditional 18th century traveling circus in the, you know, the year 2980. I mean, they still had, they still had the old, uh, jump up and down old time religion traveling circus stuff in the, in the seventies and eighties. I, I, I don't think, I don't think that the circus as depicted here is that far out of date from even today than it was is, in, at the time but of this the story is a thousand years in the future. Yeah. And I'm just saying, you know, you can go and look at oldie tiny stuff today. Uh, you know, there's a huge fascination for people to go and see, um, you know, old gangster cars from the twenties and thirties. I think that there is a venue even in the far future, where if you wanted to create some kind of traveling circus of amusements or really what this is, is a cleverly disguised Glossnost um, event. Uh, I think those would still be very prevalent, even a thousand years from now. I like this Glossnost story that they have put in here because what do we have? Like we have two warring factions. Well, not, they're not even really warring factions, but they're very cool to one another. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, um, so they send this delegation to come and do happy things uh, in the other person's country. And then in return, we will also send some gymnasts or, or circus performers in the 1980s to go to Russia to also perform glasnost and, and friendship and, uh, try to keep lines of communication open or, you know, Nixon going to play, um, ping pong in China. Um, those are all things that this story is kind of, uh, hiding what this story actually is beyond just, Hey, everybody look at the circus. What this actually is, is a very traditional detective story in that you have a client that comes to your detectives. In this case, it's the Legion of Superheroes and saying, hey, I've got a problem. I think someone is trying to uh, destroy my circus or destroy the Glossnost or whatever it may be. And I want you, the detective, to come and and figure out what's going on. And so we get who do we get in this issue, Matthew? Who are all the. Who are our big names? Uh, the active legionnaires in the circus are Starboy, Star Timberwolf, Monel, Phantom Girl, Brainiac Five, and Projectra. Yes. And so they all go and they are, they're going to go undercover, right? So they're going to all do different tricks. One of them is going to be a magician and one of them is going to be a fortune teller. I wonder which one's going to be the fortune teller. You might be surprised. Um, 
none of her fortunes are going to come true because she's never correct. You got a strongman act. You got a freak show act. Even freak shows today are still around um, in the traditional sense of, of, of this time period. Uh, but then what usually happens in the course of a detective story is a murder takes place and everyone is investigating or the detective investigates that particular murder. And then usually um, you have another murder that follows. Now, in, depending on which type of murder mystery or detective story that you're writing, you can have these be two unrelated cases that then come together uh, to help solve a major case. And we find out that they're both connected or you could find out that um, these uh, people, one of them might be a suspect or they all might be suspects and one by one they're dying. And then uh, the reader is supposed to suspect the the uh, one person who hasn't died yet or hasn't had any accidents happen to them. And that's your primary sus a suspect until at the very end, there's a twist and it's like, no, haha, it is this person over here. And this story surprisingly follows that detective plot outline very, very closely. I was surprised when you put these two together and you get into the, I think it's in the second, no, it's the, it's in the first issue in 260 when, the, the little blue guy with the white face. Uh, I forget what his race is called. Um, when he is, is killed, then suddenly I was like, oh, this reads just like a detective story. And then when you get into 261 and you see more of their investigations going on, then it all kind of, kind of comes together. And you're like, ah, something else that we can learn that I think, honestly, the people from uh, CSI would later employ 20 years down the line. And that is... The first person you meet, your big guest star, your big standout character, he's the one that's the actual murderer, which plays yeah. out exactly in this book. He is from Cygnus 4, by the way, which is the uh, nation that has sent the uh, circus. The ringmaster yeah. Yeah. is apparently a human, but also grew yeah. up on Cygnus 4. Yes, but he's an incredible racist. Well, yeah, but we don't know that till next issue. No, I know. I, know, I feel end. like the pluses of this issue are um, we have a really great let's everybody show off our powers moment mm -hmm. because at the beginning of the uh, beginning of 260, when the ringmaster shows up, a ship tries to kill him mm -hmm. and we get, you know, a three page sequence where everybody does their superpower shtick. It's really, really nicely done. Including and it would be uh, even Timber Wolf so trying to karate, karate chop uh, stuff out of the sky. Karate chop. Yeah. That, yeah. that brings up the point. Where's karate kid. He He's and the five past. other legionnaires have actually been sent with RJ brand to help RJ brand rebuild his business. So fully one third of the legions roster has gone away with RJ brand to help him rebuild his fortune, which feels like a, just a tremendous waste of superhuman resources. To me. I mean, he's got to go and start stars. You're going to need some, some heavy uh, uh, power to reignite some stars, although that probably would have been a good idea than to then take yeah. uh, uh, Star Boy and Sun Boy and um, somebody else that has that power. Perhaps he literally took Shrinking Violet, Karate Kid, Dream Girl, Cosmic, Colossal, and Chameleon Boys, and I'm 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 just at a loss to figure out what that well because group. this this particular story needs these particular characters instead of, I think as, as we approach uh, some of these Legion stories, especially as the roster gets really large, 
we need to stop looking at, well, why didn't they include this person and ask, well, why did they include these people? Um, and the answer might surprise you. What is the answer that might surprise me? Uh, all of the Legion members that are present here really have no thing to do except for Brainiac five. And it takes Brainiac five, two whole issues to solve this mystery. Uh, yeah, so that's the thing. Most of the center of the mystery, letting people die yeah. without explaining his theory. Yeah. I just feel like the, the, the idea of splitting the Legion, that's fine. I mean, that happens in every arc, but the fact that they're going off with RJ brand to help him rebuild his fortune feels weird to me I mean, because technically you know, he's the their Legion benefactor, has a job. Right? But the Legion has a job to defend the galaxy. But they can't defend the galaxy because they got no funding. So going back to uh, why, why they chose these Legion members is because, again, most of these Legion members are, are useless. I mean, why use Princess Projectra when you've got a dream girl who can do fortune telling? Why use, why use Invisible Girl She's useless. So really what they're trying to do is they are trying to show, and I agree with you, they are trying to show that uh, these powers of the Legion members, uh, you know, the whole thing with Timberwolf and his uh, uh, flying trapeze act or Brainiac and the disappearing girl with, uh, with Phantom uh, Lass. That, that all works, but when it comes to solving the, the mystery, I'm not sure it does. So I think that the point is if you have too many really good I mean, if you had all of the members of the um, espionage squad here, mm -hmm. I, I have a feeling that this mystery would have been solved in one issue. But I think by removing a lot of those characters, then you make it a little bit more complex for these other characters to stretch their muscles, to stretch their mind muscles. And it is interesting. I mean, we haven't seen Starboy in a long time. And he's also gone back to his old uh, split down to the waist costume. Which yeah. Yeah, I also noticed yeah. that they, they're keeping him and uh, Dream Girl away from one another. Yeah, I wonder about that. They've split up a lot of couples, though, because Ultra Boy and uh, Phantom Girl are split up. And by the way, when Brainiac is doing his act with Phantom Girl, I'm not crazy. That She literally just is wandering around in her boots and her underwear, right? Yeah, I mean, it's Which, sexy. That outfit does not it's look sexy like a magic. Yeah, it's sexy, sexy magic girl uh, outfit that you would see. Yeah, it, it looks like she literally was just like, "Hey, I have a matched underwear set. I'm going to be a superhero now, undercover." But <laughs> I am more disturbed by Brainiac's uh, hair. In, in <laughs> I don't know what that's it, it's about more distracting than what she's wearing. He looks like a crazy cult member from like uh, Logan's Run or something. He's got like Doc Brown hair. But the interesting thing to me about this story is that as soon as the Legionnaires are done wearing their work costumes, mm -hmm. they immediately go back to wearing their superhero costumes. And I'm like, aren't you supposed to be undercover? Then again, I mean, we have a whole sequence where Timberwolf in regular costume yeah. nearly falls to his death, but doesn't he have a flight ring? No, he's doing his big trapeze act. He's supposed to be amazing the audience ring? with that. Yeah, sure. Why not? That's, that's how good he put is. Your, put your flight ring. <laughs> that is, that's how good he is. It, it, it kind of feels like, and it's a really well-drawn sequence, you know, with uh, the images of Timberwolf falling down the page. But you also have that moment of, I feel like the writer kind of forgot that everybody can fly when you're writing the Legion of Superheroes. But Well, I mean, you do have to kind of sometimes go with some of the more ridiculous 
things. Maybe, you know, maybe that uh, one flying trapeze, maybe it shorted out his ring for a short second or two. Who knows? I, I'm just saying that by the time that the flight rings become important, they really mm. become important in the third act of the story, yes. which in itself is, is weird and trippy. Um, but you know, I'm okay with this kind of stuff. It's, you know, he's doing a, a performance. If he were suddenly starting to fly around, I don't think that the people who are visiting this, uh, traveling circus would be, um, ooing and eyeing like they do. Yeah. And that's kind of the thing, you know, is a traveling circus going to be as impressive in the year 2980? But I feel like the alien aspect of it is the more interesting part. Like the Jovian attack squid. I don't know what that is, but it's, you know, freaky deaky killer alien. Yeah. As you get to the end of this story, it kind of feels like Brainiac five is, is doing his, I think I have this figured out. And then two more people die. And I just yeah, and, want a 16th level intelligence to respond more quickly. Right. And I think that that again has to go back to what I was talking about earlier about your traditional detective story where he lays out, here are three suspects. Here is this green guy. Here's the cat lady. And here's this blue guy. And here's the reason why it could be one of these three based on all the circus performers. I mean, they have a lot of circus performers here. They've got like a whole fleet of spaceships that are, are traveling this thing around in a big old, uh, wagon train to the stars. Um, and so Galactica had just by having, there. yeah, by, by having one of them die, um, then of course that narrows the suspect field. Then let's go and interrogate this guy. Oh, this guy dies during the interrogation and it was, you know, sabotage. Then that really points to the one person. But again, we get little clues, especially in the next issue of how it can't be that one person that everyone now thinks that it's, oh, it's obvious me as a reader can figure this out. Why can't Brainiac five figure this out? And that's one of the things that, again, you see a lot in the in the detective genre is that that swerve that, oh, let's cast all of our suspicion onto one person or one or two people. And then in the last act, let's pull the rug out from under you and say, no, no, it was actually this person. So uh, first issue, I think, does not have a lot going for it. I think it has a, a lot of setup. And it is following, you know, like a cozy, not quite a cozy mystery, but since everything is in a circus and takes place at the circus, I guess you could kind of qualify it as a, as a cozy mystery. Um, but I honestly was bored with let's everybody go undercover and show our acts <laughs> and show our little routines. I just thought it was all dumb. And especially when you've got Phantom Girl in there instead of, um, I'm sorry, uh, Princess Projectra instead of uh, Dream Girl in there it kind of really doesn't make sense why they're doing these specific things, these specific, you know, acts. So yeah. for me, this issue was good setup, but overall kind of boring. Yeah. It doesn't really feel like a Legion story to me. And I think the question of whether you can make science fiction and mystery merge together really well without shorting either the science fiction or the mystery, not even taking into account the superhero trappings on top of the science fiction, and the mystery, I feel like this, 260 is not a particularly successful issue as sci-fi or superheroes, but it does an okay job of setting up, you know, like a, a murder she wrote level mystery, something mm -hmm, that Dick mm -hmm. Van Dyke could unravel. Yeah, the, the cozy mystery, the, the detective story. But I was really impressed by the time we got down to the end of this issue, and I was like, oh, they're doing the traditional detective story. I think you do kind of have to give Jerry Conway some some writing credit for being able to 
recognize the genre and be able to kind of write to the genre, regardless of whether it's in space and really putting it in a circus does keep it more grounded. Um, and then throw in your, your heroes who, again, they don't really, they use their powers, but they're not using them <laughs> in a heroic way. It's like stunt work. It's like, Hey, uh, I just so happen to be a traveling, uh, um, magician and, uh, every, town that I come into, there's a mystery that needs to be solved and I'm going to use my sleight of hand to do all this. It's not that the guy who knows real magic, he's just doing his tricks. And that's kind of way that these characters come across in this, in this issue, just doing tricks and stunts. Yeah. Which it sucks because one of them is practically Kryptonian level. If you enjoy the show, we would appreciate your support. You can find out more and become a Legion Clubhouse member at patreon.com slash major spoilers. All right. You wanted to talk about something in the Legion Outpost letters column. Yes. The letters column of issue 261 is interesting because, well, 260 actually has a moment where a reader calls them out on the misuse or disuse of Tyrock. But when you get into the letters column of 261, there's a long and well thought out letter uh, discussing why the Legion can't keep a solid creative team, why we keep having changes to the Legion art and uh, writing team. And it comes to a point where the guy is like, what do you have to say? And the editor, Jack C. Harris, responds by saying, it's an excellent letter. You are correct. I hope everyone in the industry will read it. And this is a direct quote. If certain people in this industry had half the professionalism of a John Fort or a Kurt Swan, then we would have a long run of issues created by the same people. And I swear, I'm, I'm looking at those recent issues, and the only thing I can think of that that is referencing is Jim Starlin's quitting the book and his frustrations back around 250. It feels like a really pointed shot at Jim Starlin jumping off the book when his issue got reworked. And I'm just um, like, maybe, I, I mean, it, it could be, I, I don't, I also know that Jerry Conway is pretty much the writer of this series going forward until uh, I guess Roy Thomas jumps in and then Paul Levitz jumps in and about yeah. a year Levitz. later, but you know, can, compared to, I mean, you're probably absolutely right that he's taking a swipe at, at Starlin. Um, but also it seems kind of weird that, and maybe they, they timed this to run this letter at a particular time so that they could say, yes, <laughs> Jim Starlin, you poopy head. Uh, but at the same time, <laughs> the letter actually kind of contradicts itself because we do have a big, long Jerry Conway, Jimmy Jane's, uh, uh, run here. Well, I mean, you, we have seen several changes in the art team, uh, even with, you know, getting the solid run that we've had with Joe Statton, mm -hmm. we've had changes to the inker. I mean, two sixty is inked by, um, Oh, what's his name? John something, something dark uh -huh. side. Coctosin story. Yeah. John Cocktoson. Yes. No, it was John uh, Smallberries. John. Yeah. John. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. John Kelman. Okay. Uh, who inks 260. But yeah, we have seen some really strange, 
you know, choices of pencil and, and ink or mixes. And the letter finally ends with, we are searching for an artist who can meet deadlines and stay on the feature for an extended period of time, which then again, you ask yourself, aren't we in the middle of an extended run of Joe Staten issues? And I'm like, oh, are we yelling at Joe Staten? I don't know, but it, it really felt like a moment where, I mean, this is the last Joe Staten shot. Is this Jim the last Star. Joe Staten issue? This is the last Joe Staten issue uh, that we're going to get because, well, I don't know about ever, but in the next probably 10 episodes of this show, we jump to Eric Estrada in 261. Uh, great on chips, by the way. And then we have um, Jose Luis Garcia Lopez jumps in at the DC Super Special. Then we've got James Sherman. And then from 263 until, with the exception of maybe one or two fill-ins, uh, mm-hmm. up until 281, so like 20 issues or so. Um, mm-hmm. It's uh, Jimmy Janes or Jimmy Janus um, runs runs in that. So we get a, a big, long run of him scripting, uh, I'm sorry, uh, penciling and doing the art, and a mm-hmm. kind of a long run of Jerry Conway doing a lot of the plotting, although uh, Roy Thomas will come in. I know we've got some Steve Ditko coming up uh, in a couple of, of uh, issues. And then mm-hmm. it, after that, by the time we hit, I think... 286 or so i'm pretty sure it's paul levitz and uh, keith given for a, a, a super long extendo period yeah two uh, right around 289 is when the great darkness saga begins so i, I know uh, the industry can be very spiteful so it would not surprise me if this was not a, a swipe at starlin or someone else yeah and it, it really does feel like it and it also brings up you know a question of even today we will see industry people taking shots at each other or, you know, and oh, you yeah. have to ask, yeah, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you have to ask yourself back in the day before that you had social media, how much of this stuff was going on secretly? You know, when you well, see things like those blind items, this editor is totally mad at his main penciler. I'm like, sure. Oh. Well, what was the uh, one, what was the one where they were always making fun of Stan Lee with his, um, toupee and his beard, uh, what was uh, that? That was a funky flashman yeah, f- in the pages yeah. of the new gods. Yes. The funky flashman stuff was definitely a hard swipe at Stan Lee. And by all accounts, it really hurt Stan's feelings, but you know, kind of serves him right. To an well, extent. and it, it was Kirby doing it, which, you know, yeah. that might hurt. Yeah. Your and then, but even today, when you look at what Grant Morrison and, um, what's his name? Uh, Frank Miller, they're constantly doing their crazy magics at one another. Uh, through the pages of comics and swiping at each other. So, uh, you know, that kind of stuff. Am I thinking Frank Miller? No. Who am I thinking of? Thinking of um, Alan Moore. Alan Moore. That's who I'm thinking of. Yeah. Yep. Thanks. Moore and uh, Morrison. Yeah. Yeah. Those two just go at each other nonstop in, <laughs> in their comics, uh, as far as their views on magic and, uh, what is it? Morrison wrote a whole book that was nothing but a magic spell, uh, disguised as a, as a poem, tone poem in, in one of his books. So, you know, these kinds of things go back and forth all the time. I think we see that when you might see an artist drop a writer or other creative in there and put them in a goofy situation. So I am sure that comic books, and especially in this letters column that you're talking about, I'm almost positive that this is the way that they're, they're swiping at each other. And I would be very surprised if the person who submitted this letter is an actual person. (laughs) You know, it could have actually been something from editorial. Uh, Andrew McClaney. Yeah, have uh, Christine down in editorial in uh, the secretarial pool uh, write up a letter really quick, and we'll run it. So, yeah, I mean, maybe 
Who knows? I mean, it is a well, it is a very long, it's a very long it uh, uh, letter. So anything else? Uh, there's one other thing in the letters column that was interesting. They were talking about 66 letters were received about Legion oh, 253. Yeah, about the favorable versus unfavorable. Yep. 31 were favorable, general comments. Um, one unfavorable. Four unfavorable letters about 254. Uh, one liked the story, didn't like the art. Eight unfavorable. 15 on 255 saying they loved the story. And then uh, one letter containing an unsolicited script for the Legion. So uh, don't do that, by the way. Uh, let's see. Uh, they can't see. read that stuff legally. Counting the unfavorable letters, we learned that only 9.5 out of 66, or approximately 14.4% of those of you who wrote, were not happy with what we were doing. Which, you know, uh, for someone, you know, I know you're always like, uh, don't read the comment section because they're always bad and everybody just piles on in that. But I would think that if you were someone that was getting, you know, an unfavorable letter, I might even say that the letter that appears in this in this issue mm-hmm. is somewhat unfavorable. Yeah. Um, and so you might read this long diatribe and be going, oh, my God, people just really hate our stuff. But when you break it down and you look at this early version of ratioing, uh, I think that it it really kind of gives everybody should give everybody a nice cheery slap on the back and say, Hey, you're actually doing a good job. If only 14% of the people are upset about it. So 65.1% uh, favorable. Yeah, that's, that's good. That's a win. That's both. Legion of superheroes. Number two sixty one, space circus of death. Published March 1980. Written by Jerry Conway with art by Rick Estrada. Synopsis. The Legionnaires find a killer in order to stop an interstellar war? All right. Let us wrap up this murder mystery in space. Circus of Death. Got Rick uh, Rick Estrada on here. Yes. Rick Estrada last seen in the pages of Karate Kid. Um, I feel like, again... This is a weird issue artistically because the inker, uh, John Galvin, does work here that actually makes Rick Estrada look almost the same as Joe Stetton did in the previous issue, which consistency is great, I guess, but uh, there's not a whole lot of Estrada to be had in these pages. And I find it very interesting that all of a sudden Princess Projector has Saturn Girl's hair in this issue. Like literally her hairstyle and her blonde color. I think it's because she had to, to go white hair undercover as the, uh, as the fortune, fortune teller. teller. And she was like, you know who looks like a fortune teller? Saturn girl. Here's, here's the part of the mystery that doesn't work. Right. And I think when we do prose detective novels, you can leave out certain things that can fool the reader into thinking, Oh, it's gotta be this person. Right. So, uh, we have our blue alien person is killed on the, uh, the brain, system and we find out that someone with technology and we've already outlined who has technology of our three suspects uh somebody with technology must have wired this to do a bad thing then we go and chase down the cat lady and she gets murdered by uh, a masked man and then you know uh timber wolf uh chase ensues you need this high action they get cornered and they have to fight off a beast but the problem is when we do the final reveal and we know that it is the circus master the the ringleader guy the guy that who originally came in in Act One and said, "I need to hire you." And again, that's your clue to quality CSI uh, entertainment. Um, it's always the guest star; is always the person who's the murderer. 
this guy is very thin. And for whatever reason, I haven't seen this a, a lot in the uh, Legion of, of superheroes because most people as they're drawn, especially the Legion members and say for maybe an overweight person mm-hmm. all have similar facial structure. The ringmaster here has a very long, a gated, uh, elongated face. Yeah. And he's also really thin, but when Timberwolf has to give chase, the man in the mask has a round face and he has a very like athletic body, which is very different from what we see with the, the circus, uh, leader. And so Mm -hmm. that in itself, just the, from the art styling, I'm kind of a little disappointed that they didn't try to make it look like the same same person. person. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know if that's, I mean, if you chalk that up to the layouts by Joe Staten or the inking by Galman, but either way, I agree with you. It is kind of a failing. I'm not sure if his face is meant to be as, you know, I'm going to say Easter Island statuey as it ends up being throughout the you know middle. I mean, of the I book. dig it. I, I kind of think of it as a um, Vincent Price kind of look. Yeah, but I mean, that's a that's a five and a half head. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah, no, he's definitely he's got, got he's got some he's got some high foreheads going. That's why he needs to wear that really tall hat to accentuate his high forehead. Oh, sure. And the fact that he's you know nine foot seven. I think we need to actually have him checked because it's probably Marfan syndrome, but. Yeah, I do get, you get to a point in this issue where it feels pretty obvious what they're leading towards, Mm -hmm. but it also feels like, I don't know, it it doesn't feel like the natural conclusion, because as you mentioned, that that visual is just all wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, of course, we have the the man who's made up of a thousand little green squirrels, or whatever his deal is, and he gets blowed up on screen, and I'm just... I don't know. It's, it's another one of those things where you ask yourself, is the Legion really well suited to a detective story? And this doesn't feel like they are. I don't know. I thought from a detective story and following the tropes of what we need in a detective story, I Mm. thought that these two issues did really, really well. Are the Legion members, can they do a detective story? Kind of, because again, there are different types of detective stories, and mm-hmm. one of them is espionage, and espionage often has uh, levels of detective and detection. And we've seen with the espionage squad specifically, and also this whole R.J. Brand, who stole his money kind of thing, that they do kind of do investigative stuff. So maybe the traditional, what we think of as a traditional detective story, maybe they're not that great at, because honestly... If it was a traditional detective story and you have Brainiac five there, it should have been fo- uh, solved in a Sherlock Holmes way mm-hmm. with, uh, you know, with bouncing boy popping in to serve as, as Watson. Um, so I kind of agree with you there. Mm-hmm. The weird part of this story is the, the denouement or the, the final bit <laughs> when we find out that that's really the circus master who's doing it. They need to stop him but all the ships are all jumping into hyperspace at the same time. They're all outside of the ships. And the only way I don't know how this works. Cause I don't think this is how space travel works, but maybe in the, in the, in the future it does. If you grab a hold, if you're in your, if you've got your rings on your flight rings mm-hmm. and they're protecting you with their prote- protective shell, with the trends, if you grab yeah. a hold of the warp field and you all hold hands, Mm-hmm. You will all be 
dragged into the warp field together in which you will have trippy dreams and you'll need princess projector. And this is why she's here, right? She's got to bring some stability to, to this 2001 space odyssey kind of a trip, uh, so that everybody can be normal. And so that this guy can freak out and jump outside the warp field and die. That's the part of the story that just fell apart for me. Cause I was just like, this is too space science fiction. Even for me. Yeah, and the the visual aspect of it is kind of ridiculous because, you know, in order to keep them all from freaking out at seeing hyperspace, um, and again, I'm not sure how they're being protected by their invisible transuit bubbles, but in order to keep them from freaking out at seeing hyperspace, she makes it look like they're walking down a path in a, you know, a little brook and a meadow, and I'm just like, okay... But then it doesn't, it doesn't make sense. You know, the the ringmaster flies in to kill them and somehow can't fly out. I I, I don't know. It just, he falls. I think he, he, he tries to get away because he, he's Uh realized that his racist past has caught up to him. And he's like, I just want to start a war so that earth gov will come in and kill all of these aliens so that I can have this planet to my own self and my own people kind of thing. And then he's like, you'll never catch me. And he runs out of the warp field and dies in hyperspace or something. Mm-hmm. And then we see, you know, we see Brainiac 5. Is like, That's a fitting end for his ilk at the very yeah. end of the issue. Yeah, it's the, the James Bond one-liner at the end. Well, it's not quite that bad. It's, let's go home. But Yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah. That whole last little bit just seemed way, way out there for me. The grabbing the force field thing, I mean... I mean, if it had been Monel doing it, I feel like I would have, I, I might have been able to swallow it a little better because Timberwolf is basically a really strong gymnast with pointy hair. But, you know, if you establish, hey, this guy's, you know, Kryptonian or, you know, Wildfire or Sunboy, someone who you go, hey, I can see Sunboy doing it. Energy powers, right? It makes yeah, yeah. sense. But yeah. literally having Timberwolf reach out and grab, like physically grab. Uh, uh, Dear listener, he physically reaches out and grabs an energy field. It's like if you if you were Marty McFly and you were trying to hitch a ride on that Jeep so you could get to school on time for on your skateboard and you reached up and you grabbed the exhaust gas coming out of that Jeep and you held on to that and that was pulling you down the street. That is what is happening in this scene. You know how he's doing it. What's the power of love? (laughs) Maybe that's what it is. Um, I I totally would have probably had Brainiac 5 do it and extend his... His His own force field. Yeah, his own force field around everybody to do that. Because he's already demonstrated that in the first issue, right? Uh, There's this debris that's raining down in the first act where the circus uh, ringleader is being attacked. And he turns on his force field and encompasses like three or four people could have easily done that again. That's the key to quality literature. That's your Chekhov's uh, force field that, that you hear so much about. And I think that would have made a lot more sense than, than what we see here. I will say one thing about this plot. It does avoid one thing that, you know, I see in a lot of comics and a lot of stories in general, the tailored plot where there's always an Ismuth for night boat to drive down, or there's always a moment where, Hey, we really need somebody who can breathe water and be really strong. So it's a, you know, it's a standout moment for Aquaman. Yeah. This plot is not tailored for these six legionnaires. No, and that's, and that's why I was, that's why I was saying earlier that I think that that's the point is 
-hmm. if you had everyone that was perfectly tailored for everything, the mystery would be solved instantly. But because you have, it would feel very manipulative, but yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. The other thing that is a little weird, weird, but not weird. Right. So it's weird Mm -hmm. that, uh, the bad guy just dies at the end and everyone just shrugs their shoulders and says, let's go home. That in itself is weird. On the other hand, a lot of times in your murder mysteries, the person who done it does die in some horrific way that is fitting for the crimes that they have been, that they have committed. So maybe that's following those tropes again, but oh man, this, this ending was just hit you over the head and trying to remind you, Hey everybody, science fiction. Yeah. And you know, there's a moment in this issue that reminds me that there are a lot of legionnaires and it's hard to keep them straight. Because oh, yeah. I've, uh, I'm sure I've uh, mangled names already multiple times this, this episode. Phantom Girl is like gods of Imsk. And I'm like, but Phantom Girl's not from Imsk. Phantom Girl's from Bug Tussle. And I'm right. like, they confused her with Shrinking Violet. But I mean, this, this feels like a very, very bland kind of mid Bronze Age story that is just sort of there. And I feel like you could tell it with other characters and have it be just as successful, which is to say just as unsuccessful as well. So you need, I think you need Monel here, right? Because he's your Superboy analog. Right. Right. I Brainiac you need here because you need somebody with smarts to put to, to go through uh, all your, your hires so you can whittle it down to who your potential suspects may be. Mm -hmm. Maybe Timberwolf for the, for the angst and for all the teenage girls to come and read the comic. I think you could tell this story just as well with the Avengers where you have, you know, Captain America in the, the Oh, sure. I'm just thinking of what other, what other Legion members would I put here in place? I would have loved to have seen a, I would have loved to have seen it in this case, a bouncing boy and duo damsel in this issue, as opposed to maybe, as opposed to maybe a star boy and a phantom girl. I think yeah, I would have replaced those two. I think that I would have, uh, the only reason princess projector your chameleon. Yeah. Then you would have probably had, you know, the full S esp- I mean, you could have just done the full espionage squad in here. Right. Oh, um, but I think the reason why you had to have princess projector, was for that final bit of let's, uh, create this magical world. So people's heads don't explode, which, you know, considering Brainiac's last couple of, uh, appearances in the series, you certainly don't want that to happen. Um, but I probably really would have put dream girl in here because she's the fortune teller. So eh, anyway, bottom line for you, Matthew, a thing, Eh, it's fine. I mean, it's very generic, but it's not horrible. I mean, we've read much worse recently. In fact, we've read Mm -hmm. much worse Legion stories. I feel like, you know, if you, if you had to do this story, it, it, it's, it's fine. It's fine. That wraps it up for another installment of the Legion Clubhouse. Matthew, please tell us, what did we learn this week? I learned that I totally forgot Starboy existed for about a minute and a half. I think we also learned that once you see the pattern, you can't unsee the pattern. And most importantly, if you have a really big head and a handlebar mustache, you're definitely the killer. Thank you so much for joining us this time on the Legion Clubhouse. Hope you had some good food for thought and maybe you're running down... uh, uh, you're probably screaming at your at your mobile uh, listening device. You didn't even talk about microwave ovens, which were suddenly becoming a thing in the 1980s. And you didn't talk about the fact that the Earth port, there's only one Earth port. 
And it's located like 200 miles west of uh, Metropolis, which would put it somewhere around maybe the Texas region, which is kind of where SpaceX is located now. We didn't talk about any of that stuff, uh, but maybe we will in future installments. And one way that you can help us is becoming a patron over at patreon.com slash major spoilers. We can't do this show. We can't go out and buy the omnibuses. We can't, uh, you know, keep opening up our bagged and, and boarded copies of these issues. Uh, without financial support from people like you. So if you would, if you found some amusement, you found some enjoyment, maybe you found some rage, but you're still going to keep listening, uh, head over to <laughs> patreon.com slash major spoilers. Ca uh, cast us a few bucks, right? Throw a few bucks our way, and we'll see you next time on the Legion Clubhouse. So until then, I am murder is my hobby. Boy. And I'm just one more thing, man. The Legion Clubhouse is a production of Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC, and is produced by Steven Schleicher. Your hosts were Matthew Peterson and Steven Schleicher. You can follow Matthew at Mighty King Cobra and Steven at Major Spoilers. You can follow this podcast on Twitter at Legion Clubhouse. If you have questions or comments, send them to podcast at Majorspoilers.com. I'm Jason Inman. Until next time, eat it, Grandpa. This podcast is copyright 2021 by Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC.